and open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy. And we're going to be taking a look at a very familiar passage, but as I was thinking about the last message um, in the youth and what to really cover, I could not help but to go to this passage over and over again. Um, And so it's one of the ones that I wanted to talk about today. So go ahead and turn there, and then once everybody's settled, we'll pray, and we will do our best to get through this message today. What's that? Yes, 2 Timothy. Of course. As per usual, Caleb and Jane. We should just probably put the study sheets like on your chairs. Except next week will be the last time for you. Jack needs one? Okay. Okay, there you go. Alright, everyone settled, ready to go? Okay, give me someone to pray, please. Who'd like to pray? Gavin. Dear Father, so thank you for this day. Thank you to be here and so hear what Stephen has to say for his last message, message to us. And I just pray that uh, we'll all just have a good week this week and that we could also have fine opportunities as well. And I uh, just uh, thank you that we could uh, have uh, the church send off next week and that we can all have a good time. And uh, do some pray. Amen. Amen. So I kind of struggled with um, saying this is, you know, um, when Gavin prayed, it reminded me of it because I've been thinking about it. Uh, my last message to you. It's not my last message. It's my last message in this capacity because some of you, once you graduate and move on, I'm going to get you again. And as I joked with uh, someone a couple weeks ago, I'm like, then you'll never be able to leave. You can't, like, it's four years and then you're out of here. No, 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 you're an adult and you just stay there forever. It just just happens unless something else happens. Okay, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Not too funny. Whatever. Um, but as I was thinking about this, you know, this is, this is just a final message in this phase. Uh, because there's a lot of things that God's going to do. When there are transitions, there are seasons, there are seasons, even the Bible talks about that. that there's, there's a time and a season to everything. And things can't stay the same. If things stay the same in your life, then you are not growing and God cannot work. And that is the absolute truth. You have to always put yourself in a position that you are taking risks and being uncomfortable because it's only when you're uncomfortable with the Lord that you're actually able to grow. And so you have to remember that. You can't stay in the same place that you are. You cannot stay comfortable. We like to be comfortable. On days like this past week where it was raining like mad crazy and all the snow was melting and it was like outside, no one wanted to leave their home. Like no one, unless you're just a psychopath that enjoys dancing in the rain and singing and just people don't like you. Um, I mean, that might be the case. I, I, I don't, I don't know. But I'm telling you, there are days like that where it's like, ugh, ah. And so you got a choice to make. Are you going to actually get up and get moving and get out of your comfort zone? Are you going to stay? And our human nature is that we want to stay in our comfort zone. But you will never grow in your comfort zone. So as I was thinking about this message, this message is, is for several different people in this room today. It is for me. Uh, it is for our leaders, old and new. It is for the people that are staying and it is for the people that are going. I feel like this is to everybody. And I feel like in some ways I'll be able to speak um, on behalf of the Lord this morning to all of us at certain points in time just to remember some of these things. So let's go ahead and kick this off. All right. So for a final message to all of us as we embark into unknown territory as we obey the Lord. And by the way, it's always safe to go into unknown territory as long as you're with the Lord. Um, it can be scary. 
But at the same time, if you're with Him, everything will be just fine. We need to make sure that we have the proper perspective. And this is everything that we've been preparing for as a church. And everything we will continue to prepare for and pursue until the Lord calls us home, no matter where we're at, no matter what church that we are at. And we were made for such a time as this. If we weren't, we wouldn't be here. you got to always remember that. We were made for such a time as this. Let us be reminded of these truths together as we make final preparations, and it is time to go. 2 Timothy 2, 1-7 through is probably the core passage of our church for many reasons. First of all, it's where we go to when it comes to discipleship. And as I think about this, this is the heart of everything that we do at our church. This should be the heart of everything that we want to instill into the hearts of other disciples. Um, this is everything. Like, this is everything. If I could boil it all down to a philosophy of life in general, it would be this passage. This is a passage that I feel like every disciple should have memorized, that you should always go back to and meditate on, especially when you feel like you're not focused, when things are not going right in your life. There's always something in this passage that I get every single time that I go to it. Because generally, if there's something that I'm messing up or I'm falling short in, I come in here and I'm reminded by what God has put in this passage of what I need to do or who I need to be. And so this is something that we all need to take heed to today. So we've got several things here, and we're just going to go point by point all the way through. You know, we've got six things to try to cover here this morning, and some of these things I'll be able to speak uh, more broadly on than others. But in this passage, there are six things I think we need to be reminded of this morning. So first of all, verse 1. Somebody read verse 1 for me. Verse 1. Go ahead, Sam. Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. So the very first thing that we see here is, Thou therefore, my son, be, what is the word? Strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When it comes to being a disciple, when it comes to doing the work of the Lord, you have to have strength. It is required. You have to have it. If you have no strength, then you're not going to be a good worker. And this is just common sense. I mean, you could apply this to anything. Anyone who is lazy whether by choice or by circumstance, because they might be injured and they can't do anything. I guess I shouldn't call that laziness, but it is what it is. They can't work, so, all right, whatever. But when you think about it from that perspective, they're not productive. In fact, in some ways, you can think about it this way. They are causing others to take time out of their day to take care of them, and so then they are also not productive. So in that circumstance, people that are not in the work they have no strength, and either they're willingly lazy or something else is going on in their life. They are not producing fruit that glorifies God, and they're causing other people around them to not produce fruit because of their laziness. Because if you truly care for somebody, you want to meet them where they're at and try to minister to them. There's been many times in ministry where I feel like there's fruit that we could have had, but we couldn't because there were too many people on the team that were hurt and injured, and we had to stop and take care of them. And it's not that you have a bad attitude about it. It's just it is what it is. got to take care of your family. But when you're taking care of each other, there are times where you can't go out and actually minister to anybody else and bear any fruit. So you have to have strength. But it says very particularly that this strength is in where? Where is it in this verse? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So this isn't in your intelligence it's not about knowing the Bible. It's in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not in your skills and abilities. 
It's not even in your disciplines necessarily. It's in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I thought this was really interesting how he started this off because anytime in the Bible you see in verse 1 where it says, Thou therefore, there's a phrase that I always say in my head. Maybe it's in your head. Anybody? What is the, what is the therefore, therefore? What is it there for? And anytime that happens, you always go back and you look at the context. It's part of our rules of Bible study. And so when you look back at the context, if you go back to verse, uh, verse, let's see here, verse uh, 15, this is what Paul's saying. Actually, let's do verse 13. He's telling Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us, that this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, who he, for he offered refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So he says here several things. Thou therefore be strong. Why? Well, if you look back, he's being attacked. When you think about Paul, look at what he says in verse 14 and actually verse 15. That all they which are in Asia are be turned away from me. All of them. Do you realize what kind of ministry Paul had in Asia? If you go back and you study the book of Acts, he won hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of people to Christ in Asia. Do you remember when he spent time I think it was in Ephesus where it says all they in Asia heard the word of God. All of them. How many churches were started in that area? And now he's at the end of his life. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. For doing what God has told him to do. And all this fruit, you could say, in Asia, they have all turned away from me. And then he names two guys. Which is a very interesting study. You can go into some of these, the characteristics of these two guys. One of them is mentioned in 1 Timothy. But everyone, when you're in ministry and you're doing the work of the Lord, there are days where it feels like nothing's working. All the things that I've done has just been completely flushed down the toilet. And it's easy to become mad, bitter, angry, frustrated, to the point you're like, why am I even doing this anymore? Like, am I even making a dent in anything for the Lord? Like, is there any, any fruit at all? I mean, this person, I've had friends that I've won to the Lord, and yet, a couple years later, they're gone. There's been many times in youth ministry that we have poured our hearts out to students over the years, whether it's in junior high, senior high, and then they grow up and make dumb decisions, and they're gone. And they may not ever come back. I remember as a kid growing up in church with my fellow peers that we said that we loved God and we obeyed what He did and we served Him and most of them are gone. And to my knowledge, they're not serving the Lord at all. And if I were to look at that on its face and just be very objective, I would think, what the heck am I doing? I mean, what's the point of all this? And it's very easy to focus on those negatives. It's very easy to focus on the detractors of ministry and the things that make you tired and frustrated. Because we try to do this thing over and over. And the enemy knows that if he can get you discouraged, that he can stop a whole bunch of things from happening. And so you see that in verse 15. But then look at what he says in verse 16. 
The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he offered fresh me, was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy in the Lord of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. The things that keep you going in ministry are not the detractors. They're not the failures. They're not the wayward ones that have willingly turned their back when you thought that they were all in. It's not that. It's the people who stay. It's the faithful. Every time. It's the faithful. And I feel like you could have like 20 walk away, but if one stays, it's all worth it. You could have 500 walk away, but if you got five... Man, if they stay, it's worth it. And so I think about what he says here, where they've all turned away from me. I'm in prison. I can't really do anything. But there's Onesiphorus. And see, that's where strength comes from. It comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because think about it this way. When Christ died on the cross, whose sins did he die for? Who? Everyone. The whole world. The whole world. And how many of the whole world are actually going to be redeemed at the end of time? Very few. It's a small fraction. So why would God die for such a small portion of humanity? Because He loved them. And He chose to be gracious and merciful, knowing that my death is not going to be in vain. Because through my death, there will be some, even though it's small, there will be some that will receive the gift that I have purchased at great cost. And so I will keep moving forward. When you look at it from a numbers perspective, God should have never died for humanity. Never. And when you look at it from a numbers perspective, using logic and reasoning, there is no reason why we should stick to the Lord and be faithful in ministry. Because most aren't faithful. They just aren't. And so when I think about this, if you are really going to be in this, from your perspective with your friends, when it comes to you guys as leaders, if you're really going to be in this, then it's got to be in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, or else you are going to quit, and you are going to fail, and you are going to let the Lord down. And then you're going to have to give an answer for that. And so it helps me in my, in my life is that I know that one day that I'm going to look at my Lord and what can I say to Him? Could I say, it just didn't work. And so I stopped. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like it does, it, that's not how things work when it comes to the Lord. Because He could have done that to me, and yet He didn't. He didn't at all. Later on in 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And is departed unto Thessalonica. He loved this world and he's gone. Christians to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And we don't know about Titus. I assume within this context that he actually, we don't know if it was actually good or not, but you see Demas as a negative. So it, there's a chance here that Titus completely walked away. And you have a book in your Bible named Titus and all the work that Titus did. And then he even says, Paul, he says in verse 16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And then listen to what he says. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. 
This was a man that knew God's heart so well that if everyone walked away, he still was very forgiving and very gracious to them. Very gracious to them. There is one thing when it comes to the work of the Lord that will make you more effective than anything else, and that is the grace that you have because of Jesus Christ. There are way too many Christians that are flat out just stinking judgmental. And they have no problem calling people out on their bull. And they have no problem, no problem saying you're a hypocrite and you're not doing what's right. But they do not know how to love people properly. And they do not know how to have grace. It is completely okay to call someone out. Totally. In grace. (laughs) And love. There is a huge difference. There's a huge difference. You should be able to, with your friends, be able to give them a nice, swift uppercut, spiritually, spiritually, but then also embrace them at the same time. And they know that you're not hurting them because you hate them or you're out to get them, but because you love them. You should be able to do that. And you should be able to understand when someone's talking to you that way. It's very important. If you can't be gracious, you will never be effective. Can't. And the easiest way to understand that is what has God done towards you? Has the Lord been gracious to you? He has. I mean, if we all were honest this morning, we all deserve to die. And we all deserve to go to hell for all eternity. And we're all in that together. The Lord has been very gracious to you. Very gracious. So for you to say, I can't be gracious to somebody else, you're wrong. You're wrong. And you don't understand God's heart. You don't. You don't. That's where true strength comes from. True strength comes from being gracious. But it's not just what the world calls gracious. It's the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the same as what Paul said. Actually, uh, Stephen did it in Acts uh, 7 verse 60. When, right before Stephen died, it says, as he kneeled down, he cried with a loud voice and he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he had fell asleep. Jesus in Luke 23, 34, while he's on the cross, he says, Jesus, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, we've got to learn this. You've got to learn this. If you can't learn this, then you'll never be successful in the mission. I love 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When Paul was talking about this thorn in his flesh and, and God said, My grace is sufficient for thee, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's response, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's grace is sufficient. And through that, you're going to be able to get strength. So that's the very first thing he says here. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you cannot learn the proper biblical way to be gracious, you will never make it. You will never make it. And everything you touch will be cursed. Verse 2. Someone read that for me. Go ahead. 2-2. Yeah. And 
Okay, so you need to focus on the objective. Commit the things of God to faithful men. Commit the things of God to faithful men. So you got to have strength, which comes through grace that's in Christ Jesus. And you need to stay focused on the objective. Commit the things of God to faithful men, which is always most effective one-on-one. Always. Now, there are other venues and there's other ways to do it. This is a way of investing things to people that are going to be faithful. But it is always most effective one-on-one. There are things that you can say one-on-one that you cannot say in a group setting. And that's why you need to be discipled and you need to be discipling. It's not just something that we do as a church. It's not some program that we push. This is everything that we are. And the reason why we do this is because God modeled it for us. And it is the perfect plan to reach the whole world. So we need to commit the things of God to faithful men. No matter what happens in life, in ministry, in this world, I don't care if the entire United States falls apart and we get invaded by some foreign country and everything that we know and everything that we understand just completely goes to pieces. We will continue to invest the things of God into faithful men. That will never stop. So it doesn't matter how unstable you may feel this world is getting. You can always have stability. You can always have purpose. I don't care who's running the government. And if you question me on that, then just look to our missionaries who are doing this exact same thing in just varying economies, different dictatorships all around the world. From communist dictatorships to socialist communist dictatorships. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just look in those scenarios and it still will work. You are always supposed to be someone who's investing in faithful men and women for the rest of your life. I don't care who's president. I don't care what country you're in. I don't care what time zone you're in. You are always supposed to be doing it. This is supposed to be happening, and we do it from generation to generation. This is what Paul did with Timothy. This is why he's telling him in his last words unto Timothy before he dies. And this is what he's asking Timothy to do faithfully to other people. Now, here's the deal. He says, commit the things of God to faithful men. Now, faithful men, faithful women are extremely difficult to find. Extremely difficult to find. In fact, we talked about this in Proverbs 20, verse 6. It says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And we talked about that in the context of guys. That your main characteristic that you need to have in cultivating your life is faithfulness. So faithfulness is very rare. It is rare. It is hard to find. And there are people that their disposition might be that they are just naturally faithful, like they're just committed people, or they feel like a great deal of personal responsibility that they don't want to let people down. Those people tend to have a a more of a natural faithfulness in general. But here's the reality. Faithfulness is just not natural. It's just not. Faithfulness, most of the time, is taught. It really is taught. And you need to teach people how to be faithful. Because if you let people go on their own, we're not going to be faithful. We're going to be so consumed with ourselves, doing the things that we want to do, that faithfulness just won't happen overnight. It can't happen overnight. It has to be taught. Which takes work. And it's very difficult at times. And so we have to do this. The Bible says that in Hebrews that we're supposed to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And when we do that, you're creating and you're cultivating faithfulness in yourself and in others. That's what you do. And so when you look at someone and say, Oh, they're just not faithful. Okay, well, what are you doing about it? Are you, first of all, faithful? Secondly, are you encouraging them to be faithful? And rather than criticizing them and tearing them down, how about encouraging them and edifying them to be faithful? Because you go back to the first thing we just talked about. 
grace that is in Christ Jesus. How many times in my life have I gone to God and I know that He should strike me dead immediately? Like, I just know that because of who I am. And how many times I've let Him down on various things in my life. And yet He has still been patient with me. And so if God can be that patient with me, and He still rebukes me, and He chastises me, and He convicts me, when it comes to the people that you're around, and maybe some of their lack of faithfulness drives you insane, first of all, welcome to the club. Secondly, don't get mad about it. And if you do, then let your anger become something that drives you to compassion towards them and encourage them and edify them in their faithfulness. Or else you will have no ministry because people don't want to be around you. They won't want to be around you. This is incredibly important. From God's perspective, it brings Him so much joy when we walk in truth. When we do the things that are right. When we learn how to be faithful. I see it in my kids. When my kids, and I see the light bulbs start to go off in their, in their life where they start to get it. And they start to do things. And I'm like, yes. But how much work it takes to get just to that one point. It takes a ton of work. But then once you see it, you're like, oh, it's worth it. And then it seems like they take four steps backwards. You're like, oh, and then you start working on it again. But then they start to make those decisions again, and it's worth it. There is a great investment that has to take place from all of our perspectives, from, from leaders all the way down, that we have to teach faithfulness. And we have to learn how to be gracious. We have to. Proverbs 25, 19. This is an interesting verse. It is the only time in the Bible that the word unfaithful shows up. I was shocked. I searched for the word unfaithful, and this is the only verse in the Bible that it shows up. Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Anybody have any of those things happen in their life? Yeah. <laughs> broken tooth? Who's had a broken tooth? Okay. How fun is that? Why? Agonizing pain that never stops. Yes. Oh, I look like a hillbilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pain. Beauty. <laughs> yes. It's terrible. And it's, it's the only thing you can think about. It's the only thing you think about. And then you can't really eat right. So you can't actually provide what your body needs appropriately. And how about having your foot out of joint? Anybody have that one? I've sprained my ankle. That's horrendous. Anybody do that one or break their ankle? Yeah. There's been a few. <laughs> yeah. It is bad. It is bad. And you don't look right <laughs> in general. You can't do things. People call you handicapped because you are. Andy or Andy? Andy? We need to start doing that. That's fantastic. Wow, you're handicapped. Do you have an handicap sticker? <laughs> all right. Anyway. All right. Back on track. So, I remember when I sprained my ankle really, really bad. And the doctor told me that I should have broken it. It would have been better. And I remember that it took me months, months for me to get back on my feet normal. Because I love playing basketball. And so, I would go to therapy and I would come back out and I would work through all this stuff and I hated the therapist. It was like the worst because I'm like, you're my enemy. You're telling me to do things but my body's saying, no, don't do that. And it's just not fun. So if you ever go through therapy in the future, you just, you know, enjoy it. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And I remember even, okay, I'm done with therapy 
and I've got a brace on my ankle, and then I would go out and I'd play with the team, and then I would actually go and try to, to move, and I had no confidence in my ankle because it felt like it was going to give. Some of it was psychological, but some of it was my body. It took me a long period of time before I got to the point where I could actually put normal weight on it and move very quickly the way I used to before playing basketball. The problem is you don't know when the time of trouble is going to come. You don't. You have no idea when the time of trouble is going to come. But when it comes, you do not want to be unfaithful. Because if you are, it's like having a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. And you are not going to be prepared. You're not going to be able to move. You're not going to be able to think properly. And no one can depend on you. And like we said at the very beginning, it's going to cause more problems than good. Your faithfulness is so important. It is so important. And I've told you this many times. Your faithfulness to the youth ministries in general is critical. It does not matter what the study is and how many times you've heard it. It doesn't matter if you enjoy the activity or not. It doesn't matter if you have problems with people in your ministry or not. It doesn't matter if you have attitudes with your leaders or not. It doesn't matter. You be faithful. Because you're not doing this ministry for anyone else around you, your leaders, your parents, or anyone else other than the Lord. And if He is not reason enough for you to come and be faithful on a Sunday morning, Wednesday night in activities, there is nothing anyone else can do to make you more faithful. Nothing. He should be enough. What God has done for you should be enough to cause you to be faithful in all things. And this is very difficult for us to hear. Because this even goes into the core of who we are at home and the privacy and the quietness of our room when no one else is around. He should be enough. The gospel should sober you enough to keep you faithful. It should. And those things that have been invested into you, you need to be faithful to commit those to other people. So in order for you to do that, you have to be faithful first. Once you learn how to be faithful and consistently over time, then you'll be able to take the things that you have learned and invest those into other people. And that is always the objective. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. Someone read that for me. Actually, yeah, do 3 and 4. Go ahead, Carson. Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth and hangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good or to be a soldier. Okay, so this is the beginning of three examples that he gives, which are great examples of faithfulness, enduring as a faithful man, and it's endure hardness as a good soldier. These three things could be a lesson in themselves, one each week. We don't have time to really do that, but it really could. Things are going to get hard, and you need to learn how to endure. And you are not going to endure unless you learn how to be faithful. You're not. And you're not going to be faithful unless you learn how to be gracious. All these things build. The grace that's in Christ Jesus will help you to be faithful and will help you to be gracious towards others and will spur them to be faithful. And once you do that, then you will be able to endure. Endurance. A good soldier must endure and never quit. In their mind, failure is never an option. It's never an option. In my mind, especially when I think back over when I was in youth ministry, there's been several times in my life where things got really, really hard. Like really hard. 
And when things get hard, you really find out a lot about the people around you. Like, a lot. I was in a youth ministry that was probably, we had about 60, I would say. Andy, don't you think? Maybe 65 consistently. If we put us all together, we had at least 80, I would say. Something like that. So after we graduated, we were in the singles group. And that singles college group, we probably had 30. Yeah. So during that time in my life is when, you know, all the crap hit the fan. And um, we ended up leaving Calvary. Um, It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. The hardest thing. And things got so hard that when we ended up leaving that ministry, I can count on, I mean, not even, barely one hand, one hand, the people that actually stuck with me and fought with me through it. And even then, they weren't there day in and day out. Because we were all trying to figure stuff out. But I remember it was Andy. He was one. And of course, that was the phase of his life where he was dating that psycho-charismatic. You're welcome. <laughs> Produced a plethora of wonderful stories on that one. And the other one was Jared Slayball. And Jared Slayball came here for a little bit. And he's still a friend. We keep in touch every now and again. But, you know, he's, he's not among us. So really, out of all of them, all the ones that I hung out with, as far as with us, faithful and everything, has been Andy. That's all you need. <laughs> Just be a t-shirt. <laughs> Andy, he's all you need. And then I'm handicapped. <laughs> I'm handicapped. <laughs> but when I think about that, when I think about that, do you realize the ratio? I mean, the, that what the numbers even of that produces, what that even looks like. And so I think about this. That was a time in my life where I had no one. I had no one. Occasionally, Andy would call me, but he was at a different church and he was doing something else. I had no one. I had no one. And, and I've told you my testimony before. My parents have always been a stable factor in my life. Always. But in that moment, I could not count on them for anything. My dad's trying to figure out what direction God wants him to go. He's doing a job search all over the country. So I'm like, we might move to who knows where. We might move to Georgia. There's one job thing that he was looking at up in Alaska somewhere. And, and my family's going to move. And then what am I going to do? I had no idea. My mom, my mom was so hurt by the things that unfolded at Calvary that she was crying every day for three months. Three months she cried every day, every day. I've never seen my mom do that ever in my life. My sister is in North Carolina, my oldest. My middle sister is still at the church we just left. I couldn't talk to her. My brother-in-law thought that my dad did all this crazy stuff, which later all got cleared up, and they're okay now. But he was on the other side of the fence on this issue. My other sister's, you know, eight hours away. My mom's bawling her eyes out. My dad has no idea what he's going to do. It was the weirdest time in my life. And God taught me in that moment that I needed to be faithful. And it didn't matter what anybody else was going to do. What are you going to do, Stephen? And it was one of the greatest lessons, one of the hardest lessons in my entire life. But it was so helpful for for me in that moment because, you know, later on I remember walking through Megan's most difficult circumstance in her life with her family. And, you know, she's freaking out at certain times. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. And I can say that was probably the second most difficult thing I've ever gone through. 
But I knew that it was going to be okay because I saw what God did and how He helped me with the other one. Because I chose to endure and I chose to be faithful. And it didn't matter what came, I was not going to give up on God and what He was going to do in my life. I knew that we would work through this and everything would be fine in this circumstance. And it gave me great peace and great confidence, even when she did not have any peace or confidence in that circumstance. And so we need to endure as good soldiers. You have to take personal responsibility for the mission. Personal responsibility for the mission. It's not anybody else's mission, but yours. Yeah, you can say, we are in this together. We're doing this together. Yes, absolutely. And that is so true. But you, are you in this? Because that's the kind of attitude you have to have. You have to have the attitude of, everyone could walk away. Am I going to remain faithful? Or am I going to let someone else's unfaithfulness be a reason for me to get out? Because that's really where you're at. You're in one of two places today. Like, I love the fact that our room is packed this morning, but our room is packed because things are going good. If things got really hard right now, I would, I would hope that most of you would stay. And I would hope that most of you would be faithful. I would hope so. I really would. And I think in our church, we probably have a greater ratio than what I had in my youth ministry. I would like to think that. But based on what I've seen, it would be one, two of you. That's crazy. But in ministry, it's worth it. Like, it's worth it. Proverbs 24.10, great verse. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I love that one. And in that same chapter, Proverbs 24, verse 5. So verse 10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Verse 5 says, A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. And where does strength come from? Verse 1. Grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you learn how to be gracious, you'll learn how to be faithful. And if you learn how to be faithful, you will endure. And it doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. You will do what's right. You will. And I love this passage. If you do this and you have this kind of attitude, you know what's going to be like? In 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1 and verse 8. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1 and verse 8, it says this. Now these are they that came to David to Ziklag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. Because Saul was pursuing him and wanted to kill him. And they were among the mighty men, the helpers of war. Now listen to verse 8. And of the Gadites, I love this, there separated themselves unto David into the hold to the wilderness, men of might and men of war, fit for battle, that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as rose upon the mountains. I love that. It's like, you know? David was in a moment where he needed men. He needed men. And these guys didn't give a rip about anybody else. They were going to be faithful to the Lord and faithful to God's man. And so they had faces as lions, and they were ready to go. They were prepared for it. They were ready to endure. Endurance is something that happens over time. It can't happen overnight. It can. I remember when I first started running. Horrible absolutely horrible but if you keep doing it over time it gets easier and easier and easier and easier and easier and easier it's the same thing that leads us into our next verse 
Verse 5, someone read that for me. Andy. And if a man also strive for mastery, yet he is not proud, except he strive lawfully. Okay, so you need, number four, discipline yourself as a crowned athlete. Discipline yourself as a crowned athlete. A man striving for masteries, you cannot be crowned except you strive lawfully. Lawfully. So you need to discipline yourself as a crowned athlete, which comes from the same sort of concept. Graciousness leading to faithfulness will help you to endure because you're disciplined. Disciplined. So this second illustration of an athlete, you have to be disciplined as a crowned athlete. And I put crowned athlete because that's the athlete that's won. They're the winners of the competition. They're the ones that get the medal. They get the crown. They get the trophy. They get the championship. Those athletes are disciplined. I'm not saying the others aren't, but I'm telling you the masters at their craft are the ones that are disciplined. They're the ones that reorganize their entire life because they have one driving force in their life. And here's the driving force that should be in our life. God has redeemed your body, soul, and spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're saved today. And it is to be used for His honor and glory and not your own. And so you have to learn how to yield yourselves to the Lord daily, hourly, and moment by moment. You have to do that. Or else you're not going to get crowned. You are not yours. When you're committed to the team, man, you're all in with that team. And you suffer practices together. You do all sorts of stuff together. When one person on the team makes a dumb decision and the whole team has to pay for it, yeah, that's all at play here. But you have to be disciplined. There are team members, I know this for a fact, on teams that outside of practice, outside of normal time, they go and they will work on things. They will. They'll take extra time outside and they will work on whether it's their dribbling or their shooting or they'll go lift weights or they will run or they will... Those are the ones that advance faster. And it shouldn't be of any surprise because everybody else is doing the bare minimum. And if you do the bare minimum, you're not going to be a driving force of that team. You're just not. You have to always go above and beyond. And that's why it goes back to the previous one, a good soldier, endurance, because of your faithfulness. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. What are you going to do? And so if you choose to be disciplined in your spiritual walk, then God can do some amazing things through you. And this crown that we're going to get, I put five on your guys' study sheet. There's the crown of righteousness. There's the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory, and the incorruptible crown. And you can go through that later. It's a great study. But these are things that if you do not discipline yourself properly as a Christian, then you are not going to get crowned. At the end of the race that you are running right now called life, you will not get crowned because you are not disciplining yourself properly. And if we as leaders are telling you to do it, then we need to be doing it ourselves. We have to be doing it ourselves. It would be crazy for us to tell you, you need to be faithful when we're not being faithful. You need to be doing this with that person when we're not doing it. That's ridiculous. And you should be able to count on your leaders to be that way, to be a good examples to you about that. You need to have that discipline as a crowned athlete. One of my favorite verses is in 1 Corinthians 9. We don't have time to turn there. I'll just read it. But it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. Don't just run casually. Run so you can actually win. Like, do you even want to win? Like, sometimes I want to say that to Christians. Uh, like, do you even want to win? Like, do you actually want to get a crown or, you know? 
Because that's how a lot of Christians are. Yep, I'm saved. Glory to God. But yet, they don't do anything. They don't do anything. And they live their life completely for themselves when they have been purchased by their Lord and Savior. And they're going to come to the end of their life, and what are they going to have to show their Savior? Like, are you going to have anything... And so, this may sound weird. Are you going to have anything that you could actually say, God, you saved me and it wasn't a mistake? You know what I mean? Lord, you saved me and this is the result. And it's more. More. Not less. More. So you can get more glory from it. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And this is Paul's response in 1 Corinthians 9. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach unto others, I myself should be a castaway. I love verse 7. I've been memorizing verse 27 for for a while now because I need it in my mind and in my heart. I need to keep under my body and I need to bring my body, my flesh, into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached unto others telling them what to do, I myself should be a castaway that I would be a hypocrite. I need that verse in my life and that helps me to stay disciplined. Alright, number five. Verse six. Someone read verse six for me. We're going to try to bust through these last couple. Go ahead. Okay, labor. Labor patiently and diligently as a fruitful husbandman. Okay. A husbandman takes diligent care of his crops and of his flock. He takes time to observe, strategize, and employ everyone and everything at his disposal to produce the maximum amount of fruit. The husbandman, we've, turned, we've used the term farmer, but I like the term husbandman a lot better now that I've studied it out a little bit more. Go figure, it's the one that God used. The husbandman is not content with his results, but is always seeking to produce more in preparation for the future. A proper husbandman is going to labor, and he is never content with what's going on. When you have someone that is a farmer or a shepherd, they're taking care of what's going on because they don't want anything to be diminished. I mean, that's, that's common sense. You don't want to lose any of your crop. But when they look at their crop, they're looking not only at that crop, they're looking at the next crop. What produces now that I can take and invest because I want something more? I've got this flock here. What else can I do to make them stronger, more lean, more healthy, so that way the next generation can actually be better. They're always looking forward. They always have a vision for the future. And that takes labor. It takes time. And it takes the ability to see things that you can't necessarily see. And that can only come from the Lord. That can only come from the Lord. And so as you think about it, if you need the Lord's vision on these things, and this one I can say is primarily more for our leaders than it is for you guys, but it is for everybody. You cannot have proper vision about the future if you have not, if you have not chosen at the very beginning to be faithful. How are you going to get God's vision if you're never faithful to Him? Because you're never talking to Him. You can't. So you have to do that first. Secondly, it will give you endurance. And you'll be able to go through that. 
It gives you strength, gives you endurance, faithfulness, everything, so that way you can start to see things. Sometimes you, after running a race, you're like, oh my gosh, well, I'm going to do that different next time. I started off too fast. Yeah, you need some experience. So through all these things, God begins to compile the ability to foresee and forecast. Well, no, 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 I know where that's going to lead. We can't do this over here because if we do that, this will happen over here. How do you know that? Well, because I've spent time with God. I've walked with Him. I've done this over here. There was a giant mistake. And all that together gives you some great wisdom to know we can't do that. And you'll be able to understand things that no one else is able to understand. And it really is a gift from God. It really is. This is why Proverbs 27 says, Be diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation? It doesn't. And I love the fact, and you can read this one later, Amos 7, 14 and 15. Um, Amos was taken out from being a shepherd and God said, Go and prophesy unto my people Israel. He was the perfect man for the job. So when it comes to a husbandman laboring, you have to labor patiently and diligently. And you have to do it as a fruitful husbandman. You don't go into something as if, hey, this is going to fail. No, no, no. You need to go into it with a fruit in mind, strategizing everything, observing, employing everything at your disposal, because you want the maximum amount of fruit at that point in time and in the future. You're always preparing for the future. you got to foresee stuff. All right, and then lastly, and this is a good one, and I want to end on this one. Verse 7, number 6. Who wants to read verse 7 for me? Go ahead, Emily. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. I love this verse. I love this verse. Okay? So he says all this stuff, verses 1 through 6, and he says, consider what I say. You know what I think of when I hear that one? Haggai. Haggai 1.5 says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider. So consider what I say. That's what he puts here. I just told you great stuff. Now consider what I say. And the Lord give the understanding in all things. All things. This is why this passage is so important. If you really want understanding when it comes to your walk with God, the work of the Lord, how to do ministry properly, then this passage has got to be your core passage. It's your core passage. Because if you are willing to sit down and consider and get engaged with this truth and live it out each and every day, God will give you understanding in all things. This is amazing to me. When you engage in the work of the Lord and you have this attitude of the soldier, of the athlete, as the husbandman, because you're faithful and you have strength from grace, God gives you understanding and wisdom for everything. Everything. I am not lying to you. I've been doing this enough so far that God gives me understanding in everything. I literally have no excuse on how to properly behave as a husband, as a father, as a ministry leader. And it's been because I've been engaged in this work. It's amazing to me. Because as I'm engaged in this work and as I'm talking with people and as I'm observing things and I do this over here and that over here, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a mistake. I should have never done that. This over here. How would I counsel them? Oh, and I'm wrestling with how to talk to this person. And then as I'm giving them biblical advice, God is then teaching me and saying, okay, Stephen, if you're going to give them this advice, are you actually living this out? Ooh, man. 
okay, I need to get right. I can't go talk to them. I, now I need to get right. And then as you start to do that over and over, day in and day out, year after year after year, God gives you wisdom and understanding in everything. 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 And it's Him that does it. It's this process. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. And so I promise you that if you are willing to stay faithful, there is something about this supernatural work that God teaches us godly wisdom that you cannot receive any other way. You can go read books. You can go off to college. You can ask counsel from everyone. But you will not get the wisdom that you actually need until you actually get invested in this work. You won't. I, I, I promise you. You may call me a liar. You may not believe me. But I'm telling you, at the end of your life, you will come back and you will say, Stephen, you were right. And it's not because of me, it's because of God and what He has put in place. Commit your works unto the Lord and all thy thoughts shall be established. Proverbs. Come straight out of Proverbs. Do what God has told you to do. Be faithful. Endure. Be diligent. Labor. And you will learn everything that you need for your life. Everything. And I am not kidding around. So if you want to live the life that God has wanted you to live, all along, rather than the one that you want to live, you got to do these things. You got to have this perspective. You have to. And we need to remember this stuff as ministry leaders because things are changing, transitions are happening, and things are very, very vulnerable. And so we have got to have the right foresight, and this passage will definitely give it to us. All right. I love you guys very much. Always will. And even if you're leaving, doesn't mean you can't talk to me, call me, or text me, or email me. You can. Because we are all part of the same family, even though we're going to be separated into two different locations. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to instill these things deep within inside of us, that you would see the fruit that you so long for and desire. And I'm sorry for my shortcomings. And I pray you'd help us. And that we would be faithful in the midst of a time where faithfulness is so incredibly rare. It was rare before and it's even more rare now. And so I pray, God, that we would be among the select few that would choose and remain very close to you, like John, who heard your heartbeat and knew that he did not betray you. And I pray that that would also be us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.